Take a copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah 35 today. We'll take a, a break this week from Revelation, although it's interesting uh, how the two chapters are connected. Isaiah chapter 35 this morning. Isaiah 35. The plane thumped against the ground as the wheels touched down and the brakes immediately went on. It was November 2nd, 2017, 11.32 a.m., and our family had landed in Albuquerque for, uh, for you to vote uh, that I would become your next senior pastor, and so our family was here for the weekend, and as Flight 2794 hit the ground, Kathy was reading through some birthday cards the day before. It had been her birthday, and so as we were taxiing across the runway, the next card she opened, the verse on the front was from today's passage in Isaiah 35 about streams in the desert. Well, the sweet friend who had given her that card could have no idea that God had used that very verse and others like it to confirm his call for us to move to Albuquerque a little over three years ago. And I want to read with you this great chapter, very encouraging chapter, looking at the power of God and what his plans are and what he can do anywhere, anytime. Now, I'll give you a little context as we open chapter 35. Israel, when they received this prophecy through the prophet Isaiah, they were in the middle of a 70-year, and it was actually written before, but they were reading and receiving it in the middle of a 70-year exile and captivity over in Babylon because of their disobedience, their stubbornness toward God. But God, because he'd made a covenant with them, never forgot them for one moment. And so God had pre-planned all of these messages for them of what to do and think while in captivity and what he had planned for after captivity. In chapter 34, the chapter before the one we'll read today, God begins to tell them how he will destroy their enemies. It's interesting, as someone said, it's as if in chapter 34, he says, I will make your enemies into a wilderness. And as we'll read in chapter 35, God says, in effect, I will make your wilderness into a fertile, fruitful, lush garden. Let's read this beautiful chapter. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arabah, and I'm just going to tell you, you can't exactly translate it, but if you were going to translate Arabah into an English word in New Mexico, it'd just be Arroyo. That's just about exactly what this word means. So, the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with the anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, 
and streams in the Arabah, your version may say, in the desert. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. And the unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him that walks that way. And fools will not wonder on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. These will not be found there, and the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And for many of you, a little chorus comes to mind there with that last verse. And that's exactly where it came from. Well, let's look at this passage together. This promise that God sent to Israel in the middle of their captivity. In the middle of their difficulty. In the middle of their sorrow being separated from their land, and he sends these words. And in his first couple of verses and throughout, it appears that God is speaking with a picture of the Negev, which is in southern Israel. It's that piece of desert that flows and starts from the Dead Sea and works on down, and then Israel's ownership of it comes down with a diagonal line, but this uninhabitable place. I mean, we have desert, but the Negev is desert. And it's, it would be desert with two S's, but Kathy taught me the difference in spelling desert and dessert is you want more dessert, so that's how you remember to do two S's for dessert. So that's free for those of you who have trouble. That still helps me. When I was typing this sermon, uh, that helped me. Um, so she's homeschooling more than just our children. Um, but this is desert, uh, the Negev. And so God is saying to give them the picture, all that, he, that I'm about to tell you that I can and will do spiritually, because that's the real fulfillment and meaning of this passage, although we'll look at some physical fulfillments of it as well. He says, it's as if I want to contrast what I can and will do. I can take the Negev and do the following things. The wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. And like the crocus, this beautiful wildflower, and your version may say rose, it may say saffron, they're all appropriate here, but it will, like a wildflower, bloom profusely. And rejoice with rejoicing and the shout of joy. And then he has these three place names. Lebanon, known for its cedars, its lush forests. Carmel, known for its beauty and its oaks. And Sharon, known for its roses and its other fertile beauty. There you see in, in uh, the Song of Solomon, the rose of Sharon. Same thing here. That's why this is here. And they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so God says, I can do this in a desert. I can do anything. I can take care of what's happening in your life. Now, understand that when they got this, the news was that you're going home tomorrow. The news was that you're going back to your land tomorrow. 
So God gives us promises, and now the, uh, the prosperity gospel preacher would say he's given us these promises, and so you just apply it to whatever you want to apply it to, and it's going to happen today. Well, that's not a biblical application of the promises of God. God has his own timing. But God says, stay with it, stick with me, keep the faith. I've got this in my timing. I saw yesterday a beautiful phrase. God's not finished writing your story. The problem is you keep trying to take the pen out of his hand. Anybody need to hear that? Yes. So God says, I can do all this anywhere. And then he goes on, he says, so because of this, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Now, there's always exhausted people. There's always feeble people. These last 10 months have created a lot of exhausted and feeble people. Now, some exhausted feeble because they've gotten sick. But beyond that, it's created an edginess across our nation. Sometimes could work itself into the walls of a church. But folks are exhausted. Folks are tired of, of it all. No matter what you feel about it, it's just tiring and feeble. And then some of you in this room, some of you listening, you've got other things going on that to you, the, the whole COVID thing is nothing compared to what's going on in your life. That's, you've got something else that's a lot bigger in your windshield right now than COVID. And you're exhausted and you're feeble. So what do we encourage each other with? And it's the encouragement from the preacher to the pew, across the circle in the Bible study, in the conversations and emails and phone calls and texts among believers, all of us encouraging one another with what? Verse 4, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. The scripture is full of that message. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And they're written for me because I so easily fear. Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance on your enemies and the recompense of God will come, but he will save you. When the tornado comes, he says, you're going to be in the eye of the tornado. And again, he's not promising Israel they'll never have a problem, that they'll never, they won't ever have a sick child or any of those things. He's not promising us that. But he's saying, I will destroy your enemy. And for us, the enemy is spiritual. It's the devil himself. And he did defeat him already on the cross when he died and rose again. And as we've been studying in Revelation, the ultimate fulfillment of this is that he will defeat the devil and send him off into eternal punishment forever and ever. But if you know Christ as Savior, you will exist in the eye of that tornado. And that's what we've been looking at in the book of Revelation. And then in verse 5, he goes into these four physical maladies that he, he says God will bring these healings. And it's interesting because, of course, all of this is fulfilled in Christ, as Old Testament prophecy is. And so it has been fulfilled today. And yet, as again, in Revelation, we've seen the ultimate fulfillment, the final eternal fulfillment. But all these things in verse 5 and 6, Jesus did on the earth. All of these things God still has the power to do. 
And we don't have healing services scheduled 7 p.m. on Tuesday where we guarantee that God will do this and that. But he still has the power to heal. We still should cry out in prayer to him. If you're not on our church's prayer chain, I'd be, I would encourage you to send an email, call the office, and get on that. There are a lot of sicknesses and other things that come through there that we cry out to God for. And he moves. He answers. Sometimes we see the healing. Sometimes we don't. But he always hears and always moves. But he says these four things. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Again, God still can heal these four and many more spiritual, uh, physical illnesses. But the fulfillment really is about what God wants to do in the spirit world in his people. He wants to take the lost who are blind and bring them so that they see. What does that mean? It means that if you have never come to know Christ as your Savior, according to the Scripture, you're still lost. And the way to be no longer lost is not to be an American, not to believe in God, although that's, of course, important, not to have parents or grandparents who are members of a church, but for you individually, you personally, to come to the place where you admit to God that you have sinned against Him in your words, in your thoughts, in your actions, and much more. And that you believe, even though you can't explain it, you believe that Jesus, just like the Bible said, was God and He left the glories of heaven, came to this earth, died in my place, in your place on the cross. And that you want to place your faith no longer in being good, no longer in being religious, but you want to say, because of what I've done, God, and because of what you've done, I want to say that the only way that I can know God, the only way that I can go to heaven, the only way that I can be forgiven is to say, from now, from this point on, I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me. And I want to follow him with my life imperfectly, but I'm making a decision to choose to quit going my way by myself and to follow after this Jesus. So he does that. And you can do that today to open our eyes. But even as believers, there are areas where we have blindnesses that need to be made clear. We have deafness spiritually that needs to be unstopped. We have lameness that needs to be healed. And we have muteness spiritually that he can and will heal if we will cooperate. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Now, I'd never seen this whole Arroyo thing, of course, until we moved here three years ago. I heard about it. Got the warnings. Stay out of the Arroyo and all of that. But, but it, it is a sight to see. And it happens in the wadis and in the Arabahs in Israel where dusty, dry as they can be, stretches become flooded instantly. And uh, it's just a sight to see. And that's, you know it. If you live here in New Mexico, you have seen it. Or you will this summer when the floods come, those torrential instant rains. And this is what he's talking about. But he says on a spiritual level, level I can do this. I can do this in your life, he says. 
I can do this. He would say to us as the church, he would say to us, don't just uh, kick along and exist. I've, I've left you in Albuquerque on purpose, with a purpose, with a mission to make disciples. And so in 2021, we'll continue that mission. And your pastors continuing to look at what do we do to make disciples, whether COVID goes away or it stays, because the church has the same mission. But how do we get all of us telling others about Christ, which you can do any year? How do we get all of us equipped to walk with a new believer and a new member in the basics of the Christian faith? And how do we multiply disciples? God can, and I believe wants to, send revival and spiritual awakening to and through us and to the rest of this city. And we believe God can do it in the desert. And we want you to be a part. Verse 7, the scorched land will become a pool. The mirage, we, we see them on the movies. And they exist. Well, they don't exist always the way the movies is. Bear with me. But you can look across the flat desert and you can see things that look like water. And he says, I want to make it not imaginary, but real. The thirsty ground, springs of water, the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass is becoming reeds and rush. This is all this lush fulfillment of what God plans to do for them. You see, because God's going to fulfill this in multiple ways. For the people reading this letter originally, God was going to fulfill that first in bringing them back. And he would. In about 517 BC, God would allow them to come back and to begin rebuilding the temple, to begin rebuilding the walls, as you read about in Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth. So God was going to fulfill that to bring them back. God sent further fulfillment in Christ. So that you and I can experience that, that, that we were spiritually captive, again, lost from knowing God. Paul says over in Romans that before you come to know Christ, that you are dead to God and alive to sin. But then when you come to know Christ, he changes everything and makes you dead to sin and alive to God. Doesn't mean that we don't sin any longer, but we no longer have to. Before you come to know Christ, the very best thing that you've ever done. If you've got to put it in one category or the other, it's unrighteousness because you still don't know Christ. But once you come to know Christ, you no longer have to sin, even though we still are growing in applying what God has done for us. So this beautiful, beautiful fulfillment in 517, in Christ coming, dying, rising again, and in the end that we're reading about in Revelation. But in verse 8. He sees a highway, a highway, a roadway that will go from where they're at spiritually and physically as they will return straight back to Zion. Everything always goes to Zion. You know, we lived in Japan for 10 years and the streets aren't named. Residential streets don't have names. They have numbers. Now, uh, on, uh, on top of that, your street, your number of your street then inside your area that has a number, uh, your street is not you and Joe across the street from you. Your street is you and the guy behind you. And so that is a little confusing for uh, the way we do streets. Of course, in the olden days, too, they, they numbered the houses according to when they were built, not uh, in side-by-side order. So it's a little confusing, uh, especially since when we lived there, there was no Internet, no GPS. But um, I was going somewhere with that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, number one street, number one quadrant is always the closest to Tokyo. 
That's exactly what it was for them. Everything was Zion. Everything was up to Zion, up to Jerusalem, and down from Jerusalem. And God says, I'm going to build a highway for you. I'm taking you home to your land, and it is their land. God gave it to them. I'm taking you home. But the meaning is deeper, of course. It says there'll be a highway. It'll be called the highway of holiness, and the unclean will not travel on it. But it will be for him who walks that way. Well, this cleanness, of course, is not achieved purity. We don't achieve our righteousness. No man ever, no woman ever, no child ever will be able to say to God, I have achieved the righteousness necessary to know you. I have achieved the righteousness necessary to go to heaven. It's imputed. It's given to us because of our faith in what Christ did to purchase it for us. He says, but it will be God's people who will walk that way to go back to what God wants to do. Are you a part of that people to walk on that road? He says, the unclean won't go there. They won't want to go there. We drive down the interstate and you see on the signs, if you exit here and you take this road, this is where it will take you. Now, I'm going to say in New Mexico, when I was first driving around, I'd be surprised sometimes because I'd think, I didn't think that was anywhere near here. And it just meant if you turn left here on this highway, you're not going to see anything for three hours till you hit Roswell, you know, or something like that. So it didn't mean it's anywhere, anywhere close. Camado. It's nowhere near I-40 at the Camado exit. And on and on and on. But you don't exit if you don't want to go there. You're the kind of person who wants to go there today. And so he says, there's a highway. There's a road. Get on it. If you don't know Christ the Savior, the most important of all that we're looking at today is that you come to know Christ personally. So that you're able to say, as Mark identified as he sang, I know the day that I came to know Christ. But he says, don't worry in verse 9, because traveling across that land could be treacherous. He says, there won't be a lion there. There won't be any vicious beast to go up on it with you. They won't be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. Are you the redeemed? And then this beautiful verse that I mentioned is, is, is an old Chorus, the ransomed of the Lord will return. And oh, how precious and beautiful and wonderful it is that God said, I'll pay the ransom for him. I'll pay the ransom for her. I'll pay the ransom for him and for her and for him and for her by dying on the cross. Now, how are these people saved spiritually? By Christ. Now, don't, let, don't think too much about that. The smoke will start coming out your ears. Because, but they had faith in God who would later pay for it on the cross. The ransom of the Lord will return and they will come with joyful shouting to Zion. And that come with joyful shouting, it may read differently in your version because what it means is they're going to come with song. God's people sing. We just do. We just sing. And when COVID first hit, that choir that gathered together in Skagit County, Washington, and spent a few hours together, and they got a lot of COVID cases that came out of there. Oh, the media and some government officials took that, tried to make all they could with it, particularly to say churches shouldn't reopen. 
And churches shouldn't sing. Well, you can find all over the internet how bad the singing was that night. But I'm just going to tell you, you can find anything on the internet. You can find just as much when you get down to scientists. And every scientist believes different things. There's no science believes this or that. But you can find a lot of scientists who've done singing studies. I read a few of them. Where's his name? I took his name out of here. There he is. Dr. Kaler from the Military University in Munich found that when we sing the droplets, whoever knew the word droplet before this year, right? I don't know. The droplets travel about 18 inches. It's not very far. Dr. Adam Fien of Bristol University in England. There's evidence this way and that way about the dangers of singing. But it's just anecdotal. What we learned later about that choir in Skagit County is they spent a long time together that night. They were mostly older. They ate together, passed snacks around, interacted in small groups and so on and so forth. But then in the end, even that doesn't really matter to me because God's people sing. And we can debate what is law and what is government mandate and, and all of those things. And, and when this is over, maybe we'll debate those for a long time. But for me, it's just, it's just overreach to say that God's people shouldn't sing. God's people sing. And the ransom that the Lord will return, they'll come with song to Zion. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. Oh, 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 how the believer ought to be the one who has joy. Now, joy is not the same as moment by moment happiness with everything that's happening in my life. There's some things that happen every day that I don't like. But in the end, the believer has got to be the one who has joy. Joy is persistent. Again, it's honest. doesn't mean that we don't have honest things happening in our life and things that make us cry. And all of those things. But the believer ought to be the joyous person who says, God wins. God's got this. This is bigger than me. And even this whole picture is bigger than us. This picture, if you can latch on to God wanting to send revival and spiritual awakening to Albuquerque and to any church who will be a part of that. Any church who will cooperate with him and will call out to be a part of that in prayer. If you latch on to that, it does clear up some other things in your life that you say, you know what, that's not really that important anymore. And Christians, if we were to interview everybody on my street, and they said, who's got joy on this street? I don't want you to interview them, but they should point to our house and not say, well, I tell you what, the Christian who lives down the street, man, sour? No, the Christian ought to have joy. Joy upon their heads. And they will find gladness and joy. Joy and rejoicing is all through this. You see, because God says, I can bring joy and rejoicing in the desert. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Ultimate fulfillment is what we've been looking at in Revelation. If you know Christ, it doesn't matter what happens between here and the end. We know how the story ends and we're going to be forever with Christ. Temporary fulfillment is that God is doing and wants to do a great work in Albuquerque. 
and at Sandia Baptist Church if we'll participate. Some of the most beautiful golf courses in the world are in New Mexico. I don't play golf anymore. We went to Japan. I, I, th- I thought, well, in Japan, it's, it's ridiculously expensive to play golf. Most Japanese golfers never touch a course. They spend their life at the range, triple-decker ranges. And I thought, as bad as I am, being gone from my family for four hours and paying that much money just doesn't make sense. So I don't play anymore, but uh, when I worked at Gloriette, I got to go golfing a few times. It's the most beautiful courses in the world. You get the right soil, and you pour a lot of water on something here in New Mexico, and man, oh man, it will be lush and green. And the contrast with the desert around is so, so beautiful. The soil is the gospel, and the rain is prayer. Are we willing to share the gospel? And are we willing to pray? I mean pray. I want to ask you to to consider joining us on Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. You can join online, Facebook Live, but you can join in person. Our in-person group has been growing. And although, man, oh man, I can't wait to serve food again with our kitchen staff and the delicious food they serve. But I'm going to tell you, our, our group is as good on Wednesday nights as when we fed. They're coming and we don't even feed them. Because we're just having a good time in a short Bible study and in prayer. Praying for revival. I want to ask you to join us on Wednesday nights. In 1948, of course, Israel inherited their land again. And they were inherited a decimated land. 60% of it desert. But it's been very interesting to watch. Again, the fulfillment of this passage was immediate for them to return to their land. Of course, then they were forced out of their land again, and God's given it back to them again. But the, 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 the true fulfillment for us is spiritual, but how, it is still interesting to watch God with his people who live in the desert. When Israel got their land back in 1948, 2% of it was covered in trees. Now it's about 8%. Now that's a, a small number, but that's an incredible... You've you got to understand what 2% to 8% means. That's an incredible growth in their forest. Now Israel is about, it's a little bit bigger than Socorro County. So small is this postage stamp sized nation for whom God has done so much. But God has helped them to take a decimated land and it is becoming increasingly, increasingly more fertile. There are crops coming from Israel. It's one of the most fertile places in the world in some parts, even though 60% of it is desert. When the British gave it to them, the British said, you can't house more than 2 million people in Israel because of it being so desolate, so dry. The population now is between 8 and 9 million as God has blessed them and is adding color back to the land that they inherited. It's a physical picture of what God can do spiritually, even here in the desert. I want to ask you to join with us in this 2021 to ask God to bring revival to his people and spiritual awakening to Albuquerque and to New Mexico because he can cause streams to flow in the desert. Let's pray.